I'm Nick Abrahams, and welcome to Web3, From Mystery to Main Street, the podcast where we talk about how technologies like crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and the metaverse are being successfully embraced by mainstream businesses. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the podcast, Web3, From Mystery to Main Street, where we try to show what normal organizations are doing as far as embracing Web3, the likes of crypto, NFTs, and the metaverse. And today, I'm very excited to welcome someone who is right at the cutting edge of taking Web2 companies into the Web3 world. And so I've got with me Lisa Tay. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. I'm super excited to be here. I hope you've set aside like 10 hours. For <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, I get a sense that you're super excited just any time of day. You sort of wake up in the morning, the shutters go up and it's like, all right, it's time to go. So. It's it's definitely pretty much that. I think when, when you enjoy and you love what you do, it really energizes you because, you know, we were talking just before the um, the recording and I started my career in tax and I wasn't excited to get out of bed then, I can tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, we, we, we can't give it away because there is there's an amazing career trajectory here, which I want I want people to, I, I wanted to unwrap. Um, but maybe if I just give you a little intro first and then people can understand a little bit more about the Lisa Tay story. But so, so you're a remarkable and successful entrepreneur. So you founded the Cody Agency, which is a digital marketing agency. You're the co-founder of Liznick, which is a business listings platform. And you made the 40 under 40 most influential Asian Australians. Congratulations on that. But what we're really going to focus on today is that you're the co-founder of Mooning, a, uh, a new Web3 marketing agency. And so we'll talk a little bit more about Mooning uh, later on and... Uh, I mean, I feel like Benny Hill and sort of the double entendre is terrible. So we'll, you know, we'll move on. Just a little bit of your background because it is, it is remarkable and it's somewhat non-traditional, you might say. Yeah. So I actually, I wanted to be, well, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a librarian. So obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Was it the Dewey Decimal System? Oh, love I that. love, love that. I actually just love books and I still love them today. I just, I just consume them in a different format. So I'm, I'm on the audio book train, but I just fell in love with consuming content from a young age. And I just found that library, like being in the library and being around books could just transfer or, you know, transport you to a whole new world. And so I just fell in love with reading. And so I thought, oh my God, I could spend my life surrounded by books. So I wanted to be a librarian. And then I moved on quickly from that. Uh, <laughs> I realized <laughs> I'd just be stuck indoors all day. And then I ended up uh, wanting to be a fashion designer. Okay. And my par- parents are pretty conservative. Uh, uh, yeah, pretty conservative, to be honest. So they said, look, I don't know if you're going to be able to get a, a you know a full time job in that. So why don't you just go for something quite conservative with your degree? So then I started was well, I studied com law, and exactly. right. I fully thought law would be super easy. Fashion designer, commerce law, <laughs> you know. That, I, I see how that links up. Well, I'm sure your parents saw the uh, saw the link. Yeah, and then I I love Law and Order. I love crime shows, and I okay. thought, oh my god, Law is going to be really exciting. Oh, it is. And then somehow I ended up in tax law. Like, oh, how did it oh. <laughs> don't fashion judge designer, me. tax lawyer. <laughs> yeah, so I ended up uh, becoming a tax lawyer. Um, surprisingly, I don't know how. Uh, <laughs> and so I ended up at KPMG. That was my first okay. job. Yeah, yeah. And then I moved to Ashurst, and then I moved to the tax office, and then. 
along oh, the way. How, how did you fit in at, at the tax office? I mean, were they, were they like, uh-huh, we're not sure what's going on here? Uh, yes, I'd say that. Like, <laughs> who is this person? So I, I almost kind of led a bit of a double life because along the way I discovered digital. So I started a fashion, beauty and lifestyle website in about 2011. And that allowed me to sort of become immersed in the world of fashion, beauty and lifestyle and digital and social media. So I would go to my normal nine to five job and then I'd literally go into my car, get changed in my car and then go to fashion week. Like I felt like I was living this really double lifestyle. Yeah. And so... It, but that whole, uh, you know, something that's really interesting about web, I guess we'll call it web two, is that it really made it easy for just everyday people like me to share content. So I could pick up my phone and share an outfit that I was wearing on Instagram, or I could publish a blog post on a latest collection that I'd read. So it was quite interesting being almost like at the dawn of that era, which is why for me, I'm super excited about web three, because I've seen the evolution from of social media and web two and, you know, the introduction of influencers and, you know, the ability to share content. And then now I'm looking at web three going, that's going to be taken to a whole new level. So yeah. So along the way I, I did that, then I transitioned from tax to witchery to work in their, um, their marketing team. And about five years ago, I started my first agency, Cody, and then Listnik happened along the way. I actually wrote a couple of books. I'm propping up my, this is like, yeah, we go. let's see those books. Oh, you're propping up. I'm propping up my laptop with, this is like real behind the scenes stuff. Um, so these, I actually wrote two books, one on Australian oh and Australian beauty. Yep. So, and that, so Australian fashion and Australian beauty. So, yep. uh, uh, viewers, you should, uh, you should buy those. <laughs> Check <laughs> and those if out. nothing else, they're very good for propping up your screen. Oh, God, I know. So, such a bad way of <laughs> promoting them. <laughs> Hang on, where are those? Where are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here are some I prepared earlier. Uh, and then, yeah, then fell in love with digital. And so Nick and I launched, my business partner Nick and I launched yeah. Mooning um, pretty much like the start of this year because I could see, and look, I could see NFTs and I was sort of looking at them and avoiding going into them, to be honest. Like I'd seen some of my favorite marketing people like Gary Vee talk about them. And I just thought, oh, I'm very much an all or nothing personality. So if I go into NFTs and Web3, I'm like all in. And then about six months ago, I'm like, you need to just suck it up and then just go all in. So I listened to about 40 podcasts that week on NFTs and I'm like, okay, I'm obsessed. (laughs) So I'm well and truly like you down the rabbit hole. And I love your content, by the way, on LinkedIn. I, I really enjoy LinkedIn as a source for Web3 content. So I'm um, going fellow Nick. There you go. Shameless plug for you as well. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's fantastic. Well, that, that, I really appreciate that. Tell us a little bit about Mooning. I guess firstly the name because obviously the name uh, does leap out. And then and then what does Mooning do? Oh, and yeah, how are your parents feeling about you operating a business called where, where are we at with those conservative? What <laughs> happened to our tax lawyer daughter? I I don't think they, they're still trying to grasp the Facebook. So I haven't even, (laughs) I haven't even told them about NFTs or anything like that because I think it would just probably blow their mind. But, uh, yeah, the name, uh, surprisingly we got the dot com, which is bizarre. Uh, but I guess no one wants a website called Mooney. Interestingly, Instagram won't let me link Mooney because I think it thinks it's a porn site. So I'm like, great. <laughs> so I can't link <laughs> Mooney directly on our um, Instagram page, which is irritating. But uh, so in crypto speak, if a project's going to the moon, uh, it means it's doing really well, accelerating really quickly. And I thought, oh, it's actually quite a positive term, uh, you know, in that crypto space. And then I said to Nick, you know, because we've got quite a cheeky uh, I guess, tone of voice and brand anyway, just from our personal brands. Because when we started posting on LinkedIn, probably around 2019, 
I honestly, I just never liked business content. I felt like it was always quite dry and just really like I think back to textbooks and everything's just so technical. So I thought to cut through the noise, like I wanted to just be a bit more real and, and like myself and coming from a corporate background, I was actually quite nervous to be posting on LinkedIn because I almost kind of felt a bit confined by a corporate brand. So when I went out and I had my own business, I'm like, oh, actually I can just do whatever I want because I'm not going to get in trouble because I'm not reporting to anyone. So then I thought I'm just going to be myself and be a bit cheeky, be a bit more fun and hope that people will, you know, there will be some people out there that resonate with that. And yeah, so I thought, you know, when it came to picking a name for Mooning, I thought, let's just uh, go for it. <laughs> Something that people will remember and nobody forgets it, which no is one, good. No, no one <laughs> will forget Mooning. No, I think that's for sure. And so, so, so Mooning is a, it's an agency and it's purpose built to help companies move from web two to web three. Yes. So in terms of Cody agency, so that's my first agency and we focus probably more on web two. So I would say that that's, um, you know, your more traditional platforms like Instagram, Facebook, uh, and TikTok and LinkedIn. And then we do influencers, whereas Mooning's built specifically to focus on web three. So, uh, you know, our main services would be Discord and Twitter management, which is, I would say more of the web three type platforms. They're not web three native platforms, but they're definitely the ones where you're going to find the crypto native audiences and then if we do influencers it's going to be more crypto native influencers and then we'll help brands with nft activations uh help them educate their teams on what web3 actually is and how you move from a web2 company to a web3 company and then we can help brands enter the metaverse as well so there's just a whole lot of stuff and honestly i'm so excited uh agencies look agencies fast paced at the best of times but when you add on web3 it's literally like light speed so it's yeah, it's just crazy. So I'm I'm loving every minute of it. <laughs> and, and it just seems like there's a massive market opportunity there right at the moment as as we're sort of right at the dawn of Web three. So great timing. Maybe let's let's talk a little bit about sort of you know brands going into Web three and um, maybe could you give us you know it's a it's a tricky topic I guess for a lot of people to understand. But could you just give us some examples? Are there some brands out there who you've seen do Web three well? And you know what does that look like? Yeah. So I guess one thing to probably understand is the evolution. Cause I think a lot of people are still like, what's web three? And I talk to people all the time. They're literally like, I don't understand. And so I always try and explain it, taking a step back, like to understand web three, you need to understand web one and web two. So you look at web one and that's the first iteration of the internet. So we call it the, I guess the read form of the internet because it was quite hard to share content unless you were a coder. And so that's kind of like the, the hello world. That's dial-up for anyone who's as old as I am. Like, oh, my God, the struggles of dial-up. I remember illegally downloading a song and I'm like, oh, my God, it's going to take 20 minutes to download. This is amazing. I'm so excited. And now if something doesn't load in one second, I'm like, this is really annoying. It's so slow. <laughs> <laughs> We've become a little impatient. Yeah. <laughs> so impatient. So so Web 1 is really that first form of the internet. Re- read, kind of read only because you're more just consuming content. And it was, you know, it was created for the military to share content at scale, but there was no thought around security because it was just such a new concept. Then you move on to 
to Web 2, which is we see that as like read-write form of the internet. So it's the it's almost like that um, evolution of or the introduction of social media and it made it significantly easier for people to share content. So the, the interesting thing about that is you started to see a lot of power being given to certain companies like Instagram and Facebook because they became, uh, you know, they would offer services for free and then they would make money by utilizing our data. So uh, quite a few players had a lot of power in Web2, which is, I don't know, necessarily probably not a good thing, uh, but they have provided a service which has allowed the consumer, the everyday consumer to to share content. And what that gave rise to is influencers. And what that means as well is that influencers, not only were, were the everyday person was able to build a following, but then they actually got paid by brands to share content or to promote the brands. And prior to that, it'd only be like celebrities who would get endorsement deals. So I look at social media in Web2 as being predominantly a brand sharing content. So say a brand might do a post and then their community might engage with the post and then the brand would engage back with the post, um, with the community. There was very little engagement between community members though. So I would say what is really popular from a social media perspective in Web2 was really just brands sharing content and sometimes engaging with their community. So if you move to Web3, what we're finding Web3 is that there's a, it's like, like so much is happening to decentralize ownership. So you don't have these players now who are controlling your audience or controlling the reach of your content. You can go straight to your, um, I guess your consumers and that removes that middleman of say like Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. So you can release NFTs, for example, and just uh, go directly out and, and sell directly to your customers. So the other interesting thing I'm seeing about Web3 is that there's a real shift in what is deemed content for social media purposes. And I'm seeing it's more like uh, I'm seeing a shift away from social media to community media. So that's almost like my thesis for social media in Web3. So rather than content as we know it traditionally, which is pushing out, uh, doing a post on social, what I'm seeing is that that's almost secondary. And what's actually content in Web3 on social media is engagement with the community. So brands talking more in conversation with their community and community members talking directly to each other. So that's, that's why I actually believe that platforms like Twitter and Discord have become the sort of unofficial Web3 platforms because they facilitate conversation more between community members and between the brands. And this is actually very important because if you think about it, there's a lot of things happening in the space where you've got brands releasing NFTs. So not only is it new for the brands, but a lot of their consumers have no idea what an NFT even is. So there needs to be that level of support and handholding by the brands. And that just isn't possible on a platform like Instagram, because what are you going to do? Have consumers just jump onto the Instagram, the latest Instagram post and go, Hey, I'm having problems minting my NFT. Hey, the website's crashed. What's going on? It just doesn't facilitate and lend itself to that. So that's why. You're looking at platforms like Discord, for example, where people are able to go in and brands can uh, segregate different channels and actually deal directly with the consumers and the community and answer questions. But the interesting thing is you've got your advocates for the brands who are jumping in and helping the community members and they're almost like, um, you know, ambassadors for the brands, but they're just unofficial people who just love it and they'll welcome people into the community. They ended up answering people's questions. And so it actually takes the support burden off 
off the brands to actually engage with the community because the community ends up just engaging with each, with each other and the brand becomes almost like the facilitator to um, unite these people and create a space where they can talk about things that they're all passionate about. That's a very long answer. Sorry. <laughs> Lucky this isn't a radio interview, Lisa. <laughs> okay, we can use we can use eight seconds of that. We can use all of that because this is a podcast, so we don't have to worry. Well, I was saying ten hours. Like I could easily talk. <laughs> Get the editors on the line. Um, so, so look, Discord. I think Discord has been one of the the amazing sort of growth stories of the last, you know, six to 12 months. I'm not sure people are necessarily super across it. It sort of seems to have more of a crypto native, um, I guess, uh, uh, sort of following, but can you, who are, who is on discord? Like what, and, and what should, what should big brands be doing on, on discord? Very good question. I personally am just going to start off by saying I hate Discord. <laughs> I, I honestly find it to be the most unuser friendly social media platform in the world. It's so hard to use. So broadly, it's used a lot by gamers. So it, so I guess just to take a step back, it's probably a mix between Reddit and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like a chat forum. So there's every day, believe it or not, there's 4 billion messages sent on Discord, like all lines of like it's people communicating. In the- <laughs> That's a lot of just like lines of chat and then people sending messages. So it, it's huge from that perspective. But it so really, say if you enter someone's Discord, it, like you've got to get verified and it's like, that's really annoying. And then you can go into different channels. So you can say, say you're around like Nike. So you might jump onto Nike and you might see there's a little channel, like a sub channel for the latest NFT drop. You might see there's a latest, uh, like a little Nike thing for their um, basketball fans or one for their running fans. So you can, you can segregate and use channels uh, really well. So you can almost, um, funnel your audience into an area that you think that they would be interested in. But from a usability perspective, it, it's uh, very open. So there's a lot of bots that plug into Discord to help you manage your channels and they don't have that functionality built in. But that also means that there's, it's prone to a lot of hacking. So there's actually plenty of hacking that happens, unfortunately, on Discord. And a lot of people end up losing their money because um, hackers have tried to take advantage of new people to Discord and, and the world of Web3. And so they'll send them DMs, uh, which have dodgy links in them. And some people have had their complete, like their wallets just completely cleaned out. So I would say that look, I, I think it's the best platform at the moment. Mm for this type of community media, which I mentioned, but uh, I would say long-term it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be the community um, management, uh, community media of choice yeah. uh, for Web3 yeah. because it's just, it's it's not user-friendly at all. And what the benefit of platforms like your Instagram and your Facebook is, uh, they're so easy. You can just yeah. quickly create a platform or a profile, start taking photos and share. So if you're going to try and move the mainstream consumer into web three, that's hard enough, let alone trying to get them to adopt a new platform that's not user friendly. So yeah. So I, I think definitely something will come up to compete against Discord this yeah. year for sure. Yeah. And it, it's interesting, isn't it, that you know, people talk about NFT drops and I know, you know, there's there's sort of become this this sort of tidal wave of interest in, oh, you know, I could, you know, there's, you know, board apes or whatever, I could draw that. And it's mm. this concept of 
like it's something to do with the art or something. But the reality is it's it's far more about the community. And so, you know, I think from what you've said previously, successful NFT drops really require significant Twitter and Discord strategy. And is that the sort of thing that you help clients with? Absolutely, because it's it's your community. So it's actually where your community will uh, live. And then with, on Discord, for example, you can actually have certain channels that you can lock except uh, only certain NFT or token holders can get access to those channels. So you spoke about, you know, <laughs> NFT people thinking it's the artwork that's valuable. It's not. If you have a look at Bored Apes, I mean, just objectively, it's like, is that art super cool? I don't know, not really. Like, because a lot of people can just replicate those kind of, they call them like 10K PFP, like profile picture projects. And so it's the utility behind that, or it's the access it gives you to events or community or merchandises or, or other benefits. And this is one of the best ways I've heard the NFT, like the concept of NFTs described. And that is if you go to a gym, you sign up for a gym membership and you get a, a card. So you get a plastic card that you swipe in to get access to the gym. So the NF, think of NFT as the plastic card. So you're not paying for that piece of plastic. You're paying for access to use the gym and the equipment. The card almost represents that access. And that's kind of like what the NFTs are. Like the, It's not like the NFT itself is valuable. It's the fact that it gives you access to maybe, in the case of Bored Apes, uh, you know, access to the community, access to um, exclusive NFT drops or future launches. And, oh, my God, Bored Apes is such an interesting case study because that was launched just under a year ago. And I was having a look at the floor price last week. So the floor price is the lowest price you can buy in for for a project. And it's currently sitting at, I think, $314,000 Australian to buy into this project. And it's almost become this brand that... it. It, like it means something, there's prestige if you hold it. So it's almost like a Chanel bag. You know, if you have a Chanel bag versus a, a just a no-name bag, you pay extra for that premium to show that you're in a community or that you've got something, like, you know, you're part of something or part of this brand. And Bored Apes has done an amazing job with that, like building something that's so um, in demand. And even like, you know, I look at what they've done since the first drop. So the first drop didn't even sell out. It sold for, oh, not didn't sell out, but it took ages to sell out. Is that right? Oh, wow. It took ages and it sold for, I don't know, like some really low amount. But then they were really smart because they got a lot of hype when the, the apes were actually revealed. And then they said in their roadmap, they were going to release mutant apes. So they released 10K 10,000 apes in the original drop. Then they released 10,000 mutant apes in the second drop, but they also released and they airdropped to the original board ape yacht holders serum. So 10,000 mutant serums that would allow you, if you wanted to, to change your board ape to a mutant ape if you utilize this serum. So keep in mind, this serum was for free. So that the people who had the board have got that for free. I think recently a serum sold for about five over five million USD. And someone then bought a board ape for like a million uh, over a million USD just so they could mutate the board ape. So yeah, sent over six million dollars to do it. Yeah, that, I mean that, that's a that's a <laughs> difficult proposition to explain to the board or senior management of a of a mining or an energy company, I think. Maybe, yeah. um, and I mean, it's, it's been remarkable to watch things like Porto, but maybe, maybe trying to, you know, what should Australia, you know, have you seen maybe 
What industries have embraced NFTs? Have you, you know, are there some industries that fashion? Have, okay, <laughs> right, which is you know, been been your, uh, I guess you know, has twigged you into it as it. Oh, definitely. I mean, the interesting thing is the everyday consumer is still a little bit skeptical about crypto and NFTs. And that's probably the biggest block actually to the mainstream audience jumping on for a lot of the, um, a lot of NFT purchases, you need crypto. And so that put me off actually. And it would probably take a big brand that you really love to pull you in. So I actually ended up, my first NFT that I bought was the Matrix NFT. So I jumped on and that was like a whole nother bloody story for another day. That was a debacle. It took me like a day, a day, that website kept crashing. So it took a day and a half and I just scraped in. There was a hundred thousand NFTs and I just scraped in to get them because it was just, just a disaster. That whole, um, uh, the whole drop, but that was the brand that got me in, uh, to my first NFT. So I would say fashion have definitely embraced it. So you look at Nike, they're fully, like they're fully in web three. Adidas are fully in web three. Yeah. They bought a board ape. They've bought land in the sandbox. Um, Balenciaga have done int- really interesting collaboration with Fortnite. So they released some items or they released, uh, it's like they call it like, I think we talk about a fidgetal. So yeah, they had yeah, really interesting yeah. blend of. Yeah. Sorry, go. The no, 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 no. I just um, yeah, I, I feel like you need to explain the word digital because you uh, you you were the one who convinced me that that was a word which I then used <laughs> in an interview and I felt very awkward saying that word. I'm like. <laughs> I have to double check this. I hope Lisa was right with this digital word. Otherwise, I'm going to seem like a complete idiot. But it is, it is a genuine word. But Lisa Tay, explain what digital means. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like a typo or it sounds like you've got, you're not pronouncing a word right, but it's really the blend between physical and digital. And we're seeing a lot of brands really do this. And it's a great way to actually try and, uh, I guess, introduce the concept of NFTs to the everyday consumer because people think, why am I paying X amount of money for something that I'll never get in my, hold in my hands? Especially for consumers like myself, I'm so old school. Like if I buy something, I want to be able to hold it. Whereas what I'm seeing now is that people are shifting from buying things online to buying online things. So these things that they're spending money on will never leave the internet which is actually quite crazy when you think about it. So I always use the example of the fact that somebody paid $1,000 more for a Gucci bag in the metaverse than the same Gucci bag in real life. And that's never going to leave. And you just think, how does that even make any sense at all that you're never going to even be able to touch this, put anything in there. It's just going to be walking, like your avatar will be decked out in the latest Gucci. So, you know, it gives you the ability definitely to flex at scale if you're buying things in the metaverse where everyone can see you. So fashion have been really quick at adopting this. And, you know, I look at the Balenciaga Fortnite collaboration. So Fortnite's one of the biggest games in the world. Uh, they're bigger than, I think they started in 2017. They're already bigger than Call of Duty, which is 18 years old. So I think the Fortnite user base is about 350 million and Fortnite is around 250 million. And so Balenciaga did a collaboration where they dropped uh, NFTs or they dropped clothes in um, Fortnite that the, your avatar in Fortnite could wear. But in the real world, they dropped the same collection. So you could be dressed the same as your avatar. And they also built in the metaverse the um, a mini version of the Balenciaga store. So you could go in and actually buy it as if you were like in the real world. And then they also had these 3D billboards that were showcasing the collaboration in the real world and replica, replications of the replications. I don't know if that's a word. 
replicas, that's the word, replicas <laughs> of the billboard in the metaverse. But then they were also allowing people to share their own content of their avatars dressed up in the outfits in on the billboard. So it was really interactive, but it was that weird hybrid crossover where all of a sudden you could be playing a game sitting in the same hoodie as your avatar and you're sitting in the real world. So it's quite a, an interesting shift from just almost seeing things just digitally or seeing things just physically in the real world to then now having this sort of digital crossover. And that's going to happen more and more. And a lot of other brands have already done it, but it's going to happen increasingly um, more. And it's a great way for consumers to really understand like, and, and almost grasp the concept of NFTs and, and the digital, I guess the things, things that are coming in the digital world. And and what do you see happening in Australia with with this? Are we how are we comparing to the rest of the world with our take up of NFT? Oh, okay. So that yeah, Australia is a hard one because I feel really passionately that and we've obviously been hit really hard with the pandemic. Like there's no doubt about that, especially I'm from Melbourne and we've been, I don't, know, I don't even want to think about how many days we've been locked, like, you know, we had been in lockdown for. Yeah. And so it's not... Uh, you know, I don't think Australia should think about how do we bounce back. I really feel like Australia should be going, what opportunity could we grab now to really own something that's going to put us on the world stage? Because getting back to where we were isn't going to do it. And I truly believe that we could own Web3 and we should be pioneering Web3, adoption of Web3 in Australia. And the other day I was talking to the guys from Magic Eden, which is the biggest NFT marketplace on Solana, which is, uh, you know, it's one of the big blockchains. And they're just in our backyard and they created that in our backyard and they're on track to become the fastest unicorn in history. And like we should be promoting these companies and talking about the fact that we've got Web3 companies, you know, on our doorstep and we're leading the way. And so we're one of the few marketing agencies in the world that's just dedicated to Web3. And I want to make sure that we do, you know, activations that people are talking about at a global level. And it's really not that hard to get attention at the moment. Like I've been talking to some of our Web2 clients and really buying land is like a free kick from a press perspective. Press release. Exactly. Press release. Buying a trademark is now a press release. Like if you buy trademarks of, you know, uh, um, sketches, you know, have done a trademark, McDonald's, like that's all just news and they haven't even done anything. It's kind of, but it it indicates that they're going into web three. And so for brands, they don't even need to know what they're going and doing in the Mm. next six to 12 months because things are going to change so quickly, but they need to just go on our, map is like has to be web three and don't wait too long because this is your chance to not only move first in Australia, but be first in the world at mm. things. And that for me is exciting. Like why wouldn't, you know, if you're a marketer or if you're a brand, why would you not want to do that? And why would you not want to actually lead the world in new technology? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. It is, it's a remarkable stage where, where <laughs> literally anything that you do um, that you can, you know, is, is capable of getting reported and and sort of shows you as a forward-thinking brand. And then, you know, I mean, even if you look at, you know, what the Australian Open did with their um, incredible exactly. NFT drop and so forth, you know, that was a really proud moment, I think, for Australia to show that, you know, we we can lead the way. And then there's Zed Run, that, uh, the yes, horse racing. Exactly. Oh, my Lord, that's um, amazing, you know, and, and really taking it up to Axie Infinity in terms of that play-to-earn space. So I agree with you. Entirely, we've, we've got a tremendous base here, um, and it just—it it doesn't feel like it's—it's it's permeated quite to the mainstream yet. And it still feels like there's a lot of cynicism there, but 
uh, you know, as as more folks, like as you said, you know, all of those brand names, McDonald's and so forth, they're all looking at it. And this is, you know, a lot of people think, oh, the metaverse thing it will go away. But for now, now we can actually own things uh, in the digital universe. So I think it's amazing. Um, I, I think maybe just to give some, you know, some, do you have any advice for, I'm sure you've got a lot of advice. But, um, <laughs> How uh, long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> For, um, you know, for companies that might be sitting on their hands. I mean, this is now, you know, if you look at a sort of NFTs have sort of moved from, you know, the sort of, you know, the slightly wacky area of the board eight into the, should be in the marketing department of every company. You would have thought thinking, you know, should we be doing something here? But how do you, how do you move people on? What, what would you say to them? What's the process? A lot of the time it's going to be education. So you're going to really educate or you're going to need to educate your current consumer because most of them will have no idea what Web3 is. They won't know how to create a wallet. They won't have crypto. They won't know what an NFT is. So you have a unique opportunity as a brand to educate them and that will come across in your content, mostly on your Web2 content. If you're on Twitter and you're on uh, Discord, then most likely that audience will have, well, I guess they're what we call crypto. Native, so they will have some idea of what NFTs. They'll probably own crypto as well. So, uh, just on a really side note, um, Puma changed their Twitter handle to Puma ETH. Yeah. So, I'm like, they're definitely going into it yeah. free. Amazing. And they, yeah, we're taking this really seriously, which is amazing. So, for those of you who don't know, ETH is um, an ENS address, so it's an Ethereum name server address. So, it's yeah, it's pretty much saying yeah, we're going to go into Web three. Interestingly, though, like we, you talk about people just not being sure about crypto. So, firstly, I think the fact that Crypto.com sponsored the AFL, it's a pretty, pretty big sign. The AFL aren't risking their brand to attach mm-hmm. it to crypto, no matter how much they're paying them if it's all a scam. But also, I look at the market cap for Ethereum and it's bigger than the market cap for the biggest bank in the world, which is JP Morgan. So it's like, how can that be a scam? You know, if it's that, and I've actually got the, I've got the stats here for you because I actually was quite blown away by this. I remember doing some research because a lot, um, another service that we do is web three training. So we actually will go out to companies and uh, educate their teams, like whether it's marketing team or the C-suite team to say, this is what it is. And people always just go like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, isn't this all a scam? And I'll say, okay, so the market cap for Ethereum is 355 trillion. And the market for JP Morgan is 466 billion. <laughs> right. Amazing. Well, and JP Morgan just opened in the metaverse. They, uh, exactly. they just opened a little, little office there, which is sort of, I mean, there's not too much in it, but, uh, they do have a, uh, there's a tiger walking around in the lobby, which exactly. is like, yeah, maybe that's just the experience of working with an investment bank. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where's the right. tiger? But you can't do that in the real world because, you know, someone could get eaten for lunch. Um, you can do that in the metaverse. Well, so if you've ever wanted to stick a tiger in your lobby, then go and see Lisa. Well, yeah. Lisa, you've given us loads to think about. Can I, I always love talking to you because you always give me some, some fun, um, some fun sort of words and so forth. We've had fidgetal, but now we've got, <laughs> so we're moving from buying things online to buying online things. That's just, that's just fantastic. And then the opportunity to flex at scale. And I guess for those who don't, don't necessarily know, um, you know, what, what it means to flex, I guess that's what the kids talk about is, you know, showing off. But that, that idea of having, um, you know, if you've got a board ape, then you are, uh, you're showing the rest of the world that you've got a lot of crypto and you're a believer and, uh, you know, it's all good. So 
Well, look, thank you very much uh, for your time. Best wishes uh, for you and Nick uh, with with Mooning, the agency. Notice how I put it like that. I think it should be Mooning, the agency. Uh, yeah. Just, good little, yeah, good little <laughs> disclaimer there because I don't think anyone wants to see my butt. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, moving, moving right on. Um, so, so thank you so much. Best wishes. And please, uh, folks, if you uh, do need any help, uh, thinking through a Web3 strategy, then please uh, contact Lisa. And also you should follow Lisa on every platform because uh, she's very entertaining and, and lots of great insight. So, Lisa, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Nick. Really appreciate you making the time to have a chat and I look forward to seeing you hopefully one day in the real life and the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. That would be perfect. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Web3 from Mystery to Main Street. Nothing in this podcast is legal or financial advice. Have a great day. And remember, every organisation needs a Web3 strategy.